BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another edition of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. Hope you're all doing well on this fine Tuesday afternoon. Now, I'm not normally one to big up my own show, but this episode in particular, I'm certain is going to be excellent. Now, why, you might ask. The rest of the episodes, I know, they're distinctly average and you probably listen to me a lot of the time out of pity. But today, you won't just be listening to me because I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by one of the best in the business. His dulcet tones are synonymous across the Arsenal world. And whenever I'm feeling a little overly emotional after a big game, this man's view is the one that I seek out for some perspective and some measured takes. It's only Clive Palmer from the Arsenal Vision podcast. Clive, welcome. Great to have you. Hello, hello. It's been a while. Well, actually, we've never actually done this, have we? I, know I, I met no. you for the first time, well, recently last week at the Five Live thing. But um, yeah, this feels like the first time we've done this properly. So yeah. Cool. Yeah, it, de- it definitely is. It's been a long time in the making. We kind of spoken about it before and we just couldn't make our diaries match up and it just didn't happen. But as you say, we met um, last week ahead of the Manchester City game. We were both doing uh, some radio work. And um, one of the things that really stuck with me uh, as we got closer to kickoff, Clive, was your mm. optimism ahead of that game. Because I was feeling a little bit down in the dumps ahead of the Man City game. i got to be honest, I, I felt like with the players we had missing, you know, we could be in a little bit of trouble. And I just felt like, given our start to the season had been good in terms of the points accumulated, but not necessarily the, the same level of hype that we had at the start of last season, I kind of felt like maybe, you know, we were in for a bit of a hiding. But you said all along, um, particularly on that day, that you felt Arsenal had a good chance and, and that they did. So, I mean, generally, how are you feeling about Arsenal's start to the campaign? Yeah, I remember going down the train, going to meet, you know, to meet you and a few others, and you're thinking what you're going to say. And then you, we talk about football all the time, right? But when it comes to match day, that's when it hits, right? When it comes to match day, when it comes to big match day, it's all this chat we do online with your mates and we're tweeting back and forth, mate, it's Man City at home. 
that's when everything comes to you. And then you think, okay, we do we have a chance? We've played them a few times. We've got a bit of history. So we know what they've done to us in the past. We've been naive. I looked at it tactically and I thought, you know what, we've got more answers, you know, to them, than we used to have. And when it comes to picking a team, I always say you, you can pick a team and you pick your team for your life. I say, right, Harry, pick a team for your life. For your life. If you lose this game, you are literally going to die. Trust me, you soon pick that team. You soon pick that team. And there's certain players that we wanted in it. And we wanted to see, we, well, obviously we wanted Saka in the team. We, for me, we wanted Thomas Part in the team, just based on rumour what was happening before the game. So when they didn't start, my confidence did ever a little bit. But then I thought, no, we have improved in our facets of play, which I'm sure we'll get into. I think we have more answers. And, and it so proved out on the day. What, what have you made of this kind of, like, you know, people, or, or the narrative, I should say, that people have kind of been peddling, which is, Arsenal don't look as good as they did last season. You mentioned there that there are different abilities that we have now and, you know, we we can vary up a little bit. I think that's clear. Yeah. But what have you made of people that have been saying kind of, well, you know, Arsenal have stuttered a little bit at the start of this season. There hasn't been that free-flowing attacking football. It's a lot to do with the fact that we've been missing our, you know, key players in the front line for a lot of the season, pretty much all of it. Yeah. And so <clears throat> one of our sort of patrons said to me that, Martinelli, Saka and Jesus have played 23 minutes together this season as a three. Wow. So there you go. So let's just scrap the attack conversation. It's not going to look the same because for the first 14 games of last season, when we won 12, drew one, lost one, and the one loss was at Old Trafford, they all started all of them. Right? So why would it be the same? And I think we have to also appreciate how that affects other people. So if you're the manager now, You've got other players in your team and you're thinking, you know what, Jesus had knee operation. Eddie, young academy player, though he's 24, but young academy player in all our minds. He scored two goals in the last 25 appearances. So we, th we say he's a finisher, but he's not really a finisher. You know, and um, Saka's carrying a massive burden, probably carrying an injury. And we lost Martinelli and Trossard. He's obviously also had a few injury problems. So what would you say to Martin Odegaard if you had him under your tutelage? You'd probably tell him to shoot a little bit more. You probably say to him, you need to take up some of the goal scoring responsibility, which he's done. So people have linked that to his uh, maybe lack of creativity. People have looked at Havertz and said, oh, maybe we've got a lack of creativity there because he's changed. Well, last time I looked, Harry, mate, we weren't putting Granit Xhaka there for creativity, were we, last season? It's, it's, we go places in our mind when we're stressed, right? So, um, so for me, if I'm the manager... And I spent 100 million quid on a bloke that's an off-the-ball expert and fixes a lot of the problems we had last year. Maybe we are looking, because we're fans, we look at what happens on the ball and last actions, last event. But for me, our biggest weakness last year, from Brentford onwards, was our ability to manage games off the ball. And that's why we had the three twos, the four threes, the three alls. So exciting, but you don't win leagues like that, mate. You don't. Yeah, I completely agree with you. We need to be more adaptable. And I think at the start of this season, we, we've seen that we can be that. And, and I think it's a great point that you make about what we do off the ball and the importance of that, because obviously that, as you say, goes under the radar quite a bit when in actual fact, that's just as important. You know, we've seen many successful teams over the years 
you know, at times give up possession, at times just protect territories and know that, you know, if they limit their opposition to the ball in certain areas, they're very unlikely to cause them too much damage. And the minute you get into certain points, you know, then you trigger your presses, then you trigger your sort of actions. And I thought it was really interesting against City in particular that we, I think, didn't play this sort of gung-ho football where we were pressing, trying to press as as often yeah. as possible. And we were a little bit more like, hold on, you can have the ball there. And, and there's going to be a trigger point where we're all of a sudden going to kick into gear. What are some of the kind of tactical differences that you've noticed, would you say, this season? Um, you know, I know we're talking about on the ball, off the ball, but is there anything specific that you think, wow, that's really different to last season in the way we've approached games? Definitely one thing we've done, we've got different paces of attack. And so versus City, it was quite, it's a bit of history here. And I, I feel, I feel so I'm repeating myself, but a bit of history here. If you look at, say, the Spurs game at home this year, we were very aggressive. We pressed onto them. We won the ball back. The crowd was screaming and we were very quick into our attack and we were taking rash shots and rash crosses. We weren't really executed. We weren't really punishing them when we should have done. We created turnovers, but we were too rash in our pass selection. If you think back to Man City last year, we were very much an on-the-ball team. We focused on pressing them, showing them how good we were. I thought it was a bit immature. It felt like master and apprentice stuff, and we were definitely apprentice. We're coming to get you. We're coming, and they just found a way out. They clipped it over us, ran off the ball, 4-4-2 basically they played. The two just happened to be De Bruyne and Haaland, and we know the rest, right? There's three, two goals down in no time, and then the game was taken away from us. because, And they beat us off the ball. The Charity Shield game was very informative to me. Because that's the first time we started to look like a team that could stand up to them physically and compete them in all parts of the pitch. I think we shocked them. But there was a period in that second half when De Bruyne came on, they put the pedal down on the metal and they went away from us, didn't they? They scored. And the way they kept finding the free man every time we lost the ball, got turned over, got popped by, and suddenly they're finding the free man and they're overloading away there and they end up scoring the goal that way. Huge lesson. This time when we what we did much better than we should have done at Yeti, we played a double pivot, for one thing. Two in centre midfield, control your central areas. But when you win the ball back, don't rush at them like a puppy. Slow down. Go backwards. Get into your attacking shape. So the tactical difference is don't attack until you're ready to attack. And people can say, well, why are you doing that? Well, if you're ready to attack and you're in your attacking shape, if you do lose the ball, you're in shape to defend. If you attack while you're in balance, trying to win the ball back, so when you win the ball, you go and pressure the ball. So you squeeze the pitch into something, into something really, really small. If you attack from a small shape, what happens is you're still leaving space. I always say, the term I use, Harry, is you're showing the other team your knickers. You're leaving space, you leave yourself vulnerable, you just want the ball back, so you're excited, but you're not got into shape yet. You see what I mean? So that leaves yourself vulnerable. So against City, we control the middle, but we didn't attack until we were ready. And so our attacks were controlled. And I think that sort of stunned them because there was no overload. There was no spare man to find because we took it away. So as a spectacle, it looked quite boring. But from my perspective, I'm thinking, we've grown up. Yeah, We're not trying to show you how good we are. We know how good we are. We're now trying to beat you with the best tactics we can beat you with. And I thought, 
that's why I didn't get home until dawn nose o'clock and I haven't got my voice back since. <laughs> so uh, it was so, so exciting. So exciting. Just a quick one on, on that game. Obviously, Thomas Partey wasn't deemed fit enough to start, which is understandable mm-hmm. given how long he'd been out for and he didn't feature um, in the game at Lons, which I think a lot of people were looking at as a game. He could potentially get some minutes under his belt. Do you think in a weird way, like it almost worked to our benefit that he wasn't fit because it meant that Arteta had to kind of go with Jorginho and then with going with Jorginho, it kind of meant that Rice would play in a slightly different role that he would have played had, you know, Thomas Partey been there and maybe there was a little bit more trust in his mobility. Do you think in a a strange way it actually worked out in that there was so much thought about covering Jorginho's maybe lack of mobility that we almost got into a much more rigid and organised shape at times? Because I think that kind of worked in our favour in a weird way. I think maybe it forced us into selection, um, which I think was the right selection. Mm. I, I wanted a double. Remember this time we went to Etihad last year. I don't know if you remember. Party just got back from international break. We sent the physio out for the first time, which told me he had rigor mortis in his legs. He wasn't really ready to play. Right? Remember, Granite Shaka had was ill before the City game. He was sick, missed the game previous. He came back. He wasn't ready to play. We played Rob Holding at centre back. And so, immediately, and do you remember that time we were sort of shifting party in front of him? To sort yep. of, you look at the average pass maps, he was in front of him. So, you got an unfit party, an unfit Shaka playing in this game. We were playing five high, and we left, we, we showed them our niggas, right? We left the middle open. What did they do? They ran through it. So, the person you saw running across the pitch was a leggy party trying to catch De Bruyne. And that's the memory people had, and he, and he suffered for it. You know, he suffered for it in his, in his feedback, which is fine. That's people's prerogative. But for me, we should have been far more pragmatic. So when you have a player like Holden who can't play certain parts of the pitch, you be pragmatic, you play a double pivot, yeah. you protect your middle, and you play from there. Rather than a five plus five, you do a, maybe a six plus four. Six in, four up, go from there. Have a look at the game. <clears throat> we were blown up in 20 minutes, right? Again, we all like we always are. So I think... That was a huge thing. We're playing Georgina there, and the way the pitch compressed itself made it small. It became a small space game, and Georgina can manage a small space game as well as any player. You know, it's a it's a tippy tap five aside pass left, pass right, pass out of pressure, stay on the move, metronomic centre midfield play. Well, he's got most of the medals in his back pocket, right? He made a career of it. That's easy. You stretch the pitch out, ask him to jump into big areas and jump onto people, then you know what you're going to get. Yeah. You know, so uh, it, the game plan worked for him and we and we applied it really, really well. We squeezed up our back line nicely and we, and we kept our distances front to back really tight, which made it a game of small spaces. And then you expand out, expand out with control, then you contract when you need to to protect your areas. And they did exactly the same as us. They were no different than us. Which tells me that we've arrived because they've they now respect us as a proper team. Yeah, because they knew we could get them. They knew we could. Absolutely. Um, a player that has divided opinion since coming in, and we're talking about how Arsenal have evolved and some of the differences this season to the last is, of course, Kai Havertz. The club spent around about sixty-five million pounds on him, from what we understand. There are still a lot yeah. of fans out there, Clive, that are unsure as to whether or not this was a good bit of business. What have you made of his start to life at Arsenal? And, and I guess I kind of want to ask you what you think his best position is. Because when I heard that we were after him, 
in my head, it was right. Kai Havertz is going to come in as a forward player and someone that could play at center forward, someone that could play on the right, could play on the left, if needs be, could play in the 10. I never really thought that despite the noise that he would come in and play as a left eight, essentially at times. Yeah. So what have you made of his start to to life at Arsenal? And and what do you think his best position is? Yeah, like you, I I wasn't sure when he first came. I thought, well, we're going to be... I thought Rice was the um, Shaka replacement. Remember, we didn't release Shaka until Rice came in. Sort of thing. Yeah, of I course. thought well, that makes sense. We at West Ham, he plays left centre mid, really runs up and down that line, and um, so I thought, yeah, he can play six like he does for England. But I wasn't like saying he has to, you know. So um, Havertz came and I thought, okay, he's going to be a, a forward, much like you. Then the, then the rumours started about party to Saudi Arabia, remember? And I thought, oh, Clive, you got this wrong. I said, actually, why? I said to myself, then why are you trying to get it right? Why are you trying to get it right? Because one, look at Kai Havertz. Why are you trying to put him in a box? Why are you trying to look at someone who's six foot three, six foot four, that can play left eight, right eight, centre forward, started a lot of his career as a right winger? You know, and what I wasn't aware of until I saw him in the Charity Shield was how good he is tackling, reading the tackle, getting to the ball. If I, if I, I'm telling you now, his defensive work is better than Granite Shackers, and I never thought I'd be saying that until we see him live, you know. Um, and then we have a situation where some of his forward play at Chelsea was slightly different. They use him as a lone forward with very little sort of wing support. We do have wing support for him, so he can be a facilitating centre forward. He was second data-wise, from making runs into the box last year. So I thought, oh, can you imagine Odegaard and Saka clip it to the back post? That makes sense. Yeah. So I could see lots of plans. But then when you see him in the shirt, you think, yourself, okay, playing in midfield, we've got used to ball progression. And I thought when he first came in, he wasn't very good at that, receiving the ball square. Because he's wide as a centre-forward to set the play. Right? So... Why are you going to take it on the half turn and then let the ball go through you? But then that's starting to improve. And he started to develop some touches in midfield, midfield touches. And he definitely has improved in midfield play. But the position where I feel he looks the freest, where I don't think he needs to be taught anything, is as a forward, as a free-running forward. He can run the channels. He can post up. He can win the first ball in the air. His layoffs are really intelligent. His ability to be available, and as I was talking to Elia earlier on today, his ability to be available, and I was comparing him to Eddie Nketiah, and Eddie Nketiah has, my biggest failing with him is his ability to show for the ball timely enough to receive it so he's in control. He always arrives late. He doesn't arrive on the angle. It's a problem because we can't build from him. And people say, oh, he's a great finisher. Well, he scored two goals in 25 appearances. Right, so he's not a great finisher. So if you're not a great finisher, you're not a great facilitator, then are you helping the other four in our front five? Are you taking the load of them goal-scoring-wise? And that's where the challenge is. And are you out-pressing them? And that's Eddie's challenge. Havertz can press. His goal-scoring is not there. He's lacking in confidence. Yeah. But his talent is there. You know, and so I look at him now, Harry, I look at him and say, right, you can do a lot in different parts of the pitch. It's improving. But those players can do that many jobs are the players that interest me the most. 
nice about getting it out of them. Yeah, and I, I totally agree on the Eddie and Ketia thing as well. Like people often, you know, point to the fact that, you know, he's he's in the past finished opportunities from sort of within the penalty area. And, you know, there was a stat that used to be thrown around about how many goals he's got in X amount of starts uh, in home games in particular mm. and stuff. And, you know, when we lost Gabriel Jesus for that three-month period last season, I thought for a short period of time, Eddie and Ketia was sufficient in terms of stepping up to the plate. But over time, I think we all started to see that it Tired. impacted our attacking play, you know, and it it just, as you use the term facilitator, that's what Gabriel Jesus is along with so much more. And, you know, for example, the Manchester City game, I know we keep going back to that game, but it was our most recent game. You know, the way he was able to play on the right-hand side and always attract attention of defenders because of his incredible dribbling ability and because of how intelligent everybody knows he is, especially Man City, who have yeah. played with him. You know, that is a threat in itself. And with Eddie Nketiah, you kind of feel like a couple of centre-halves between them are kind of like looking at him and thinking, well, he's in between us here. He's, he's not going to go anywhere. He's not going to drop deep early enough. And they, he just kind of exists in a game at times. Yeah. So it's a problem, isn't it, with him? I think for me, <laughs> this could be his last season at Arsenal before we need to look at upgrading. It's a, it's a terrible thing, right? Because standards raise and we accept less. So... Two years ago, that's absolutely fine. Work hard, bit of presence, spin the size a little bit, get the odd goal, that's enough. But now we can see these players coming. We can see people re-signing. All the contracts are being re-signed. Young players we weren't sure about have established themselves. And suddenly, some of our Highlanders are looking a little bit below the standard. Mm. And it's hard to, to say those words even because we're Arsenal fans, right? So we have a loyalty to people that we've seen come through. Do you know how difficult it is to get to that level, to get where they've got to, to get two pro contracts? It's really hard. Getting the first pro is not the worst. It's hard enough. But getting the second one and the third one, goodness me, you've got to be some sort of talent. You're in the top 0.1% of people in this country. And so I hate critiquing them. But I also care about the club and where it's going. And that's not going to carry us where we want to go to, right? And if you're if you're thinking I'm being harsh, well, look at your timelines when we drew two all at home to Fulham. They weren't for the flowers, were they? So we're all thinking we've got expectations on the team. And then you have to marry those expectations to the people that we have on the pitch. And you always have to look to continuously improve. And we have some valuable assets there that may need to be traded to allow us to up the standards. And that's the harsh reality of elite sport, I'm afraid. Yeah, completely agree. And and I remember sort of when Eddie got the new five-year deal and everybody was saying, why have we signed him up for five years? Well, part of that was to protect his value, right? So that yeah. in the instance that we go into the summer and think maybe we need to upgrade on Eddie, there is some value there to sort yeah. of bring in for the club because we've outlaid an awful lot of money over the last few years and we've not really brought in too much the other way. So I think yeah. there is a need to to be smart in terms of the business we do. And just sort of remember the reaction at the time from people saying, well, why have we given him a five-year contract? Because it's about the value. It's about protecting yeah. it. And it's about, you know, potentially using that to then upgrade later down the line. Um, Declan Rice, Clive. I mean, I've been so impressed with this signing. And, you know, we knew that when we brought him, he was a top talent and that he was going to improve us straight away. I remember coming away from the Manchester City game and thinking, 
how did I ever doubt that he was worth a hundred million pounds? Cause I did at one point I looked at him and I went 75, 80, maybe, but once you start going over a hundred, maybe that's a little bit excessive. What has he brought to that midfield that we were missing? What has he added? You know, I think that Thomas Partey is great at passing the ball out. And I think he's a wonderful player in his own right. But what does Declan Rice, in your opinion, bring to the table that's different? Yeah, I think they're a good partnership, by the way. I think they're a perfect partnership. And game for your lifetime, Harry. We want them in there, don't we, together, right? So um, we know that's not the future. But for right now, it's it works, right? And I'll put them up against anybody. <clears throat> but what where he's different is he was brought up as a centre-back that moved into midfield. So defensive awareness has been wired in since he was a kid. So his ability to read things defensively is excellent. And, and by the way, I wasn't always high on him until about two years ago. Went to West Ham to watch an away game. And I was one of those people thinking, why is he in the team? Why is he always the first name down the sheet? That Calvin Phillips is all right. Give him a go. You know, I was literally <laughs> one of those people. So I'm not going to say that I knew this all the way along. But I went to one of the games, I think the games when um, Gabriel scored ahead and we won away at West Ham. And um, I just looked at the ground. I looked at this guy just running across the pitch. And I thought, what's that? I mean, we go, we watch a team, you generally watch your own team, didn't you? And I just couldn't take my eyes off him. He would just be striding the pitch. And my opinion changed overnight. And I started listening to people who were high on him. People that I know that watch West Ham listening to them and thinking, okay, he has a lot of things. I think he's got better. He was very much bought into the Arsenal project from the start. He really wanted it. He he selected us as much as we selected him. Yeah, that comes across a lot, doesn't it? It really yeah, does. He really did. And I know that for a fact. And um and so yeah, 20 million probably, 20, 15 million over the top, probably. Um, but that just happens because he was flavoured a month and there was a market for him. Fair play to West Ham, you get your 15 million extra, well done. But he covered up a lot of the problems that started to uncover last year, which was our ability to cover the pitch, our ability to read the pattern of play, our ability to win the ball in the middle third. Because once he went past Thomas Bay, it was over. Yeah. Right? So, and that was it. And we all knew that. If you pop past him, the recovery was not there. You know? And so, and so you needed somebody else in there. <clears throat> Rice's first thought when he comes on the pitch is, this is my area, I'm going to distribute, circulate, but you're not coming through here. And that's his first thought. I feel with Thomas Pye, if you look for a difference, he says, I'm going to get the ball from here, I'm going to defend, but by the way, I'm going to pass around that corner by looking over to the other side of the pitch, and I'm going to put it through to our number eight, and you can't, you don't know he's going to get there. You don't know how he's going to get there. And we're off and running. So I feel we're more front-footed when party plays. I feel mm-hmm. that we receive the balls in more central areas. But also our wingers then receive it on the run, higher up. And earlier, don't they? And, and they receive it in a better area. So we see, it's, it's more or less how you receive it. So if it goes out to white, we know about our ankle pass off the side and Saka's off to the side and he's running inward. We've seen that for a year now. But if it flips into Odegaard, Odegaard can then do one, two, three, Saka, and they're both running. They're both running from those areas and they're getting closer together and they're one, two in combining. If he goes to the right-hand side, he creates an extra player there and he's looking to penetrate. It's quite interesting against City when he came on. He played that diagonal 
and it was a different pass on the day and it caught them out and we scored from it. The Decker Rice now, he is somebody that just understands the patterns of play and he just reads them and he gets them. And so there's a phrase in football that I use called regain, retain. So you regain the ball, but the most important thing is you retain that ball for at least two passes. Because then once you win it, the other team wants to get it back within five seconds. So if you can keep it, they're done. Because they're out of shape attacking and then we can get into them. You know, so that's where he's really good. He regains it, but he retains it and he moves it really, really quickly and we're off. You know, so if the opportunity is there, if we're not in shape, if we're not connected, then he goes backwards to go around and then we get in shape. So it may not feel as um, vivacious in attack, but it's more secure, right? Yeah. And it's more secure. And in this day and age when a goal conceded, it gives you, gives you a week worth of content, Harry. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'll take secure. Do you know what I mean? I'll take that all day long. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I agree with you what you said at the start, that I'd like to see them both in the same team. I think our best midfield, and I've been beating this drum since the season started, would be made up of Partey, Rice and Odegaard. That, for me, is how Arsenal should line up whenever possible. But Declan Rice's arrival means that we're not completely shot when Thomas Partey's unavailable, as we yeah. would have been 12 months ago. And, and that's a big, big difference for us, I think. Yeah. Um, we're going to take... a theory on oh, Rice. Just sorry on this. Yeah, this is ahead. something that I debated myself. Maybe it's something that your, your viewers will think about or maybe just give you the answer we've got Declan Rice and I think he could be our version of Steven Gerrard or he could be our version of I'd just say Michael Carrick you know what I mean by that like a whole new and so when you have a player with that much ability it almost feels wrong to pin him as a six yeah because I call them two jobbers right We've got someone who can do two jobs. Why can't let him do just one? If he plays sort of the second midfielder in the three and has two jobs to do, he'll do the two jobs. Yeah. If you give him the one job, he'll do the one job. And I think at 24, how we develop him is really important. And I'm, I wish Thomas Pye was 25 years of age <laughs> because we could just sit back and get a cigar on <laughs> because that's that. Uh, but that's, we know that's not the future. So it's so interesting what we do there. And maybe Havertz is, uh, is part of that discussion as well. Yeah, definitely. Great point. Um, great point. You're right to say that, you know, if he plays sort of as that eight and he can do two jobs, then then why not let him and why not strengthen us even more? Yeah. Um, it's really, really interesting. And, you know, this is what I really find fascinating about Arsenal right now under Mikel Arteta. There's so many sort of different sort of intricacies to the work and the job that he's doing that it it makes it difficult for opponents to read. I know that's what he wants. And as fans, I know some people will get frustrated at times thinking, why can't I figure out what's going on? But actually, I love it. I love the fact that we're constantly debating with ourselves about what the next step is, about how a player is going to kick on, how they're going to develop. I think it's it's really, really intriguing. Um, We're going to take a really, really short pause. And when we're back, um, we're going to talk Raya and Ramsdale. Uh, David Raya has been speaking uh, about his relationship with uh, Aaron Ramsdale. So we'll touch on that and we'll take a few of your questions from the live chat. So if you haven't done so already, pop them in the chat box. If you put a little cue at the beginning of the question, it makes it much easier for me to pick them out. We'll be back in just a second. Don't go anywhere. 
Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family, of course. Uh, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the brilliant Clive Palmer on today's show. Um, getting so much love in the comments, Clive. Everybody's delighted uh, that you're here. So thank you, of course. I need, I need uh, to focus. I can't look at them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it does get difficult. You can, I, I do, sometimes when I'm doing the pod by myself, I lose my trail of thought because I've been sucked in by a comment. Uh, it happens. It happens. Um Guys, if you haven't done so already, please do leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. Subscribe to the channel here on YouTube as well if you're watching the video version uh, because we are not far away from 30,000 subscribers on YouTube. So if we can get there ASAP, that would be amazing. And of course, if you're listening on audio, um, where the majority of our listeners still join us from, then please do leave us a review because that really, really does help as well. Right, um, let's get back into it then. David Raya. Against Aaron Ramsdale versus Aaron Ramsdale. That's how the, the sort of wider media have put this up um, to try and make a story, to drive clicks, to sell papers, all the rest of it. David Raya said today that the relationship between him and Aaron Ramsdale is very good. He said, of course, I want to fight to be the number one. But at the end of the day, we are mates, which is the important thing. We have a very healthy relationship and there are no problems. Clive, what have you made of this whole, I'm not going to say sort of, clash or whatever between Ramsdale and Raya because I don't think internally this is anywhere near as much of an issue as the wider world want to make it but what did you make of the decision first of all to bring Raya in and, and how do you think he's fared so far? I remember when we were looking at Raya the first time around I think he was playing for well he was playing for Brentford they were in the championship and I think he played in the championship player final and he got done from a free kick from miles out and I was bigging him up, thinking he'd be good for us, or he would come in as a goalkeeper. And then he got done, and um, basically, I thought, keep quiet, client. <laughs> you don't know. And he stayed at Brentford for a couple of years, and he did get better. And um, I, I, I can't deny what my eyes see. I just can't deny it. He's he's very good, and he allows us to do more things statically, and he does. And um, his ability to, people say, his ability to play out, what does that mean? His comfort around the ball is European. Yeah, You know, it's like it's like us watching Barcelona versus Arsenal. They're Barcelona players. just seem to be neater around the ball. You know, it's just something that maybe, as an English guy, I think that way. Maybe it's not so, that gap isn't so wide today, but it's always the way I grew up. Those players just look better on the ball their comfort, their ability to separate, to receive it, to receive it in the right way, to not even look at the ball because you know where it is. When you see a goalkeeper is really comfortable on the ball, you don't go and press him because you know he's got the ability to find somebody else. So you don't go and press him because he's going he's gonna to make you look like a chump yeah. and, and create a spare man somewhere else. When you see someone that's not comfortable, what you try to do is make him feel uncomfortable. 
if you see someone that's not comfortable on his one foot, you curve the run so you block off his strong side and you make him do things he doesn't want to do. And that He's happened come, against Spurs, didn't it? It the, did. The curving of the run to put him under pressure. It did. It caught him out and uh, we were nervous and I was sitting right behind that goal and and it, and it, well, it happened and yeah, it can get a bit nervy, but the game's changed, right? When the game finishes, I do a couple of things with data, not too much because I like to feel the game. The first thing I do is look at sofa score and I look at the touches that players have. That's what I do. Look at touches, see their involvement. And then I look at the average pass map. Then I stop. Then I just do my own thing. Our goalkeepers are regularly getting over 40 touches. Granit Xhaka was getting 40 touches last season. And we say that's the best season he's ever had. Mm. So that tells you that the game is changing for goalkeepers. So when he first came in, I'm thinking to myself, well, if goalkeepers getting 40 touches, maybe there is room for true rotation for some clubs because you're now asking the goalkeeper to have a bit more of a physical input a mental input and that means they will tire and rotation will keep them fresh if you have two goalkeepers that are similar styles so that was me galaxy braining it a little bit trying to think a way around it yeah and some people say look like he's gonna be number one and then after the national break he's number one i'm thinking have i overthought this or will this develop into a true rotation? And Harry, um, again, back to where we when we met the other week, team for my life, I was picking Rare to start because I felt he could do more things tactically on the day. When the day transpired, I think to myself, you know what, that gap is not that big. Yeah. If at all. And our memories are very, very short. And the last time I saw Aaron Mansdor play properly, they played the Brentford game, but he played for England against Scotland and he was excellent. Excellent. And I feel so sorry for him because all that's been forgotten. He was making real progress. Maybe he needs his kick up the arse because I think he can get a little bit... Um, he needs pressure. I think he revels in pressure. and But this is big pressure and it may be too much because I'm not sure if the fight is fair. And I've said this before on a podcast, think this through, right? You're at work, new boss comes in, right? Yeah. You think, I've got to impress him, I've got to impress him. And then the boss brings in his number two from the old firm. And at work, you could be working your absolute best, but you're thinking, you know what? They've got a relationship that I just don't have. They have a history that I don't have. In the back of your mind, you're wondering if you're his guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Our goalkeeping coach got a long history with David Raya. If I'm Ramsdor, I'll be wondering, am I his guy or is he his guy? You know, I would be, I'm only human. I'll be wondering that, you know, and um, in some ways, Raya is the worst goalkeeper to come into Arsenal for Ramsdale because he knows the long history going back to Blackburn when he was a kid that he has with Inaki Kanya. So it's a challenge, right? But yeah. Absolutely, That's elite sport. It's um, it's it's tough because I agree with you that sort of when we were watching the Spurs game, I thought he looked really nervous, and I remember coming away from that game and thinking, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure yeah. if he's bringing any more to the table than Aaron Ramsdale was, but yeah. I thought it's still early. And then the City game, I, I thought there were a couple of really nervy moments from David Ryan. I know in the second half it settled down a bit, and you know there was. 
a lot more benefit from his sort of distribution from the back and all the rest yeah. of it. But really you did good. feel, even in that game, at times nervous and concerned by it. And I remember sitting in the press conference after the match and somebody said to Mikel Arteta, like, you know, the crowd were getting a little bit anxious when David mm-hmm. Raya had the ball at his feet. What, what did you make of that? And he sort of responded with something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, if you're going to criticise someone for that, criticise me because I've asked him to take that extra touch and I want him to yeah. not just aimlessly knock the ball upfield because if you keep giving the ball back to a team like City, they will kill you. That's what he said. He's right. And he's he's absolutely right. And it made me kind of look at David Raya's performance the other way. And I think that's great management first and foremost because he's taken the responsibility off of the goalkeeper, which is where it was in a lot of people's eyes prior yeah. and put it on himself. And now I think when people watch David Ryan next time out and he does take a bit of time on the ball and he does come close to being closed down and all the rest of it, I think people will will re- react to it differently. So it, Mikel Arteta's got a big role to play here, hasn't he, in terms of this Raya-Ramsdale thing and how he manages it is going to be important. But he did say that they were going to compete and that there was no number one. I would argue that right now it looks like there is a number one. Would, yeah. would you agree with that? Yeah, and so the manager's job is to protect his players, to create an environment where they can all succeed. Come on, they got 20 million of us lot online looking at every single movement, right? So uh, trust me, they have to create a bubble internally that protects them. He did the same thing with Havertz when he spoke about Havertz in a press conference recently about what he's doing. He just needs to do the last action. He's really been protective of him to allow him time to settle. And he's done the same thing for Raya. <clears throat> Fair play to him. That's exactly what you should do as a manager. But he also needs to be true to his word. And if it is going to be a competition, it needs to be a competition, what is the success criteria? Is it training? How do you get selected? How do you change someone's mind? Do Are the goalkeepers made clear what the strategy is going to be? If they're happy, then we should be happy. Yeah. Right? But then every now and again, you have to listen to people that may have an insight. And so on this one, a good person to listen to is David Seaman. Mm-hmm. And he spoke and he sort of intimated that some of these games were quite big games for Ray. I, I am paraphrasing there. And it sort of as to many people's suspicions that he could be a bit nervous on some of these occasions. These games he played recently against Man City, that's put, that could be the biggest game of his career, easily. Yeah. Easily the biggest game of his career. So why wouldn't he be nervous? For the fact he's three years older, and we've known him in the Premier League, he's not played a Super Sunday game in a game that's deemed to be a title decider almost. Because, you see what I mean? A, a, t- yeah, a big yeah. title game. He's not done that before. You know, he can go to Man City as an underdog, and they've won there, by the way, Brentford, him in goal. And it's no drama. They get on the coach, have a drink and go home. When you play for Arsenal, mate, you, you, you kick one ball out your left foot and there's five videos on Twitter appearing immediately with full analysis <laughs> and, uh, and lines being drawn, right? So, uh, and so um, it's, a different, it's a different world and he's got to get used to that. So much like I can't be patient with Havertz, and not be patient with Raya. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. I think you've got to be really, even though we all got a, well, most of us have got a, an affection for Ramsdale, you've got to be consistent in how you analyse things. Yeah. And we want the group to be better. 
without a doubt, Ray and Ramsdale is better than what we had last year. Yeah. So, and that sort should matter to us a lot as watching from the outside. Yeah, no, no question about that. And I remember sort of going on the radio and and doing other bits and pieces around the time of the Raya signing and constantly defending Arsenal by saying, look, they have improved the goalkeeping department by bringing in another good goalkeeper. And that's the way you've got to look at it. Now, it's on Mikel Arteta to manage that in the correct way. It's on those two to use each other to excel in their own performances. All of that stuff is, is going to be key. But, you know, on the whole, when you look at it in that way, have we improved the goalkeeping department? Yes, because David Ryer is a better goalkeeper than Matt Turner. And you yeah. know, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, right. We're going to take some questions from the live chat. We've had a few coming through while we've been speaking. Thank you for those. Uh, don't forget to leave a like on the video if you haven't done so already. I hate saying it, but it really does help. Also, subscribe to the channel if you're brand new as well. And we'll give you some information on how you can follow Clive and where you can find him. Not that you don't already um, a little bit uh, later on, just before we wrap up. Um, Panasonic says, Tommy Asu is going to be on international duty uh, for the start of 2024 for the Asian Cup. Will we be left short on the right with only Ben White? Or do we see Kivior stepping? I, I don't think Kivior could be a direct replacement. He's so left-footed. I, I wouldn't yeah. see that as an alternative. But are you concerned by the fact that Tommy Asu could be going. We don't have Durian Timber, um, and he, we probably won't have him at that point. And no. then, of course, Partey is going to go off to the AFCON as well. El Neni too, uh, by the looks of it. Are you worried about these upcoming tournaments? Yeah, I'm. Up, I'm worried, but I'm also. I've always seen January as a as a good time to buy. People say the opposite, but I've always thought we've done all right in January. I think sometimes it's good to. Look at your season and see where you are. I thought last January we did quite well with um, Trossard and Jorginho coming in. Yeah. I thought that was really good, you know. And um, we haven't always done January well, but I thought we did last year. And I think there's, there needs to be a right-footed, right-sided defender coming, mm. and that could probably play if you're really being. Maybe that was Timber, although I do think Timber's better off the left. But that's just my small sample size view that was timber really a ball progressing player that can play right center back really the third defender in the three you know with your left back rolling in or right back pushing on <clears throat> but he's not going to be there so what do you do i think they may end up going for potentially a, a taller center back and say to white you are now going to be a right back you know, really invest in that situation. And I can see that taller centre-back that ends up being a central centre-back. So you know that Saliba is a central centre-back right now? We don't really have cover for him. White's probably the closest in profile to just the way he manipulates the ball and slows the play down, yeah. etc. So I'm thinking that sort of central centre-back, that, that ball player that's the centre of our team, that could be somebody that we look at. And there is a player that's in my mind, um, that sport in Lisbon right now that's we've been linked to and I can see that happening because I think it's a it's a future signing as well you know so that's how I see it yeah good stuff I actually Diamande's like... name is Diamande looking up yeah yeah, I've I've had a look at him in the past when we've been linked. He, he certainly looks a player. Um, I actually liked Tommy Ashley's performance at Brentford at centre back, but obviously he's not in this equation. Um, no, he's very good. He's very good. 
yeah he did um we'll just quickly do a couple more very quickly because i know we're pushed uh for time um a few people have asked similar questions around aaron ramsdale in that do we think he's been mistreated now i know we've just had a, a discussion on that but mm. i think that's a narrative that we should be trying to squash rather than giving sort of fire to I, I don't know what you think about that has he been mistreated or is this just how it is in elite level sport as you said it's it's, a, it's an easy line for me to say it's elite level sport we want it to be we want to see the standards raised we want to see all these things but we sat here last year we sat here we watched his team jump into our feelings and one of the people that helped this team jump into our feelings was Aaron Ramsdale and I'm a human being and I can't, and I like the guy. I like the guy. I like his journey through football. I like how he approaches football. In fact, he's the opposite to Raya at this point in time. I think it's the smaller games he loses concentration is. In the bigger games, he relishes. The bigger crowds, the more aggro, that's when he's at his absolute best. So his best games have been against the best teams. You know, so he has that star mentality, someone that can really carry the weight of the shirt. I, much like I can't unsee what Raya can bring to us, some of the things that Raya brings to us, I, I think Ramsdale can learn them. It's not things that he can't do. He can strike the ball off both feet really, really well. You know, he can play a bit. He can. He needs to come for crosses a little bit more. Are you telling me he can't do that? You know, he can do that. He just needs to make it a part of his game. Like anything, competition drives drives your performance. And if you don't make the adjustments, then you're not going to play. Yeah. So it's up to him. I feel like some of the people that are probably in, in your chat right now, I can't help but deny I feel a little bit sorry for him. I don't think he's done a lot wrong to deserve this level of exposure, this level of embarrassment that you're playing for England one minute and you drop for Arsenal the next. You have, to, you have to swallow that and show some real character, which he has in abundance. Right? So... In, in a strange way, I want them both to do really, really well. You know, I just, I just want them both to do really, really well. But you can't see it's lasting for three years, can you? No, absolutely, absolutely. No, um, apologies to Johnny. I used the word mistreated, but he's highlighted that he said poorly treated, not mistreated. Yeah, I, I agree with Johnny. That's probably he's right. You can't help but feel it. You feel it too, didn't you? You feel. We all yeah, do. Of course. We feel. I'll tell you when I really felt it. You know, when we played Lons away the other night or the other week, I was there in the away section, um, mm. in that little corner that they stuck us in. And um, the Arsenal goalkeepers came over to warm up before the game. And David Ryer had come over first. Yeah. And there was a sort of, there was a, an applause from the fans that were there, but it wasn't anything major. Yeah. And then 10 seconds later, Aaron Ramsdale came over and they were singing his name. And, and you could tell at that moment that David Ryer probably thought, like as much as in Arteta and in Aki Kanya's mind, I am the number one right now. I, I still have to win over the fans. And it's not because he's done much wrong necessarily. It's just because of that affection that we have for Aaron Ramsdale and the fact that that's been building over a couple of seasons. You can't just come in and match that straight away. So no. that kind of really sort of re-emphasized to me anyway, that at least some of the match going supporters are, are very much behind Um Aaron Ramsdale yeah. in this. We're game. being polite. We're being polite with Ray at the moment. Everyone's being yeah. polite. I think it's important in the ground how we support the players. And we can Agreed. go, we, we've all got keyboards, mate. We can do what we like there. 
long as he's respectful, right? But in the ground, it's full on. I mean, Kai Havertz could play one three-yard pass to one side and people are giving him a break. Yeah. You know, they're giving him a break and, and, and he's starting to show dividends, in my opinion, because he's doing some things which people are starting to appreciate. So it's just difficult sometimes, you know, because the guy is so likeable for me. Yeah. And, um, and I think he's really good. But I also sat there in the stadium, Southampton, at home last year, just just got me hot dog, sat down, and suddenly my life changed, right? And um, he came out of nowhere. If that happens to Raya right now, right now, it wouldn't be good. Yeah, agreed. Was the hot he dog good at least? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good. But if that happened to Raya, well, now I've charged him down the other day, we lose that game 1-0. Yeah, right. agreed. It's not good, is it? No, so, agreed. Got to sharpen up. All got to sharpen up. Yep. Um, final one. Um, considering we've improved dramatically in defensive transitions and controlling games this season, what does this evolving team need next? So I guess the question from Lalietia is, what what's the next step in our evolution as a team? I know this is a question you could probably do a whole nother podcast on, but what immediately kind of springs to mind? The next step for me, I like how we're balancing out our in and out possession play. I like it. I think I Martinelli showed when he came on the pitch that we need offensive outlets. Mm. And Eddie was hard to find in that game in the first half. Trossard looks like he was a little bit injured, so we couldn't find him neither with a torch, could we? We just couldn't find him with the ball. And Jesus was being absolutely overloaded up front. We need another offensive outlet. So you can decide what you want to do. You can decide, do I want to go physical and get something that allows me to cheat code over the top and then drop the ball and play from there? Or do we need another speedster outlet in someone like a Neto who allows us always to have two one-on-one speedsters that draw people to them, which creates space in the middle of the back four for other people to run through, like a Havertz, for example, that we're not seeing so much now because teams are not, they're not moving out their block. They're waiting. They're waiting because they're not being forced to go out wide. Martinelli came on the other day and that game changed on his first touch. Yeah. Literally on his first touch, it changed. They had to they had to respect him and it cost them the goal in the end. So that offensive outlet is required. It's just how, what that profile looks like for me. Um and eventually, we've got three 30-year-old midfielders in 31, 32, wherever they are, Giorgino, Party, and Elneny. And potentially, they could all not be here next year. How we develop those roles could be interesting. So we've got a kid out of Swansea, obviously, Chai Patino. Will he get a chance in the squad? I hope his performances demand it. That's one thing you look at. Potentially, if we do buy another defender, do we move Zinchenko into that midfield group? which makes sense for me. He'll be getting... Do you want him in his later 20s on the exterior of your team against speedy wingers? Or would you like him in the middle of your team doing the role that Georgina played the other day? I think he could do it with his eyes shut. Yeah, With his eyes shut. And it'd be better. You know? And so I think seeing that central area develop and do we need a purchase in there if party goes to allow Rice to be whatever he wants to be? You know? And I think... That's that's the that's the growth for me in this team at this moment in time, and um, the rest I'm really really happy with. 
Clive. Thank you so, so much, mate. Brilliant as always. Um, great to have you on. Uh, let people know where they can find you, um, how they can follow you, all the rest of it. Basically, plug yourself. Go for it. I never plug myself, right? <laughs> you know I don't do that. Well, <laughs> I'm on the Arsenal Vision podcast. That's what I generally do. I do a little bit on Ars blog every now and again, and I do a bit with Tom, as you know, every now and again. And now, Harry, you are in the mix, mate. And there we go. Sure, I'm on it. <laughs> I'm going to make sure I come on and uh, every now and again, if your listeners want it, I'll come back and do it again. So, yeah. I'm sure they'll want it. No doubt about that. Thank you so much, Clive. Um, guys, big thank you to you as well for tuning in. I know it's the international break and I know um, that football isn't at the forefront of everybody's minds at the moment as well in a lot of parts of the world, uh, given what's going on. But if we can have a break from all of that by talking football, um, then it is great and uh, great to see uh, Mohammed, um, who is one of our listeners who's uh, based uh, over in the Middle East, who I have to say, when I first heard about the conflict, I was concerned about. Um, good to see him in the chat again today, um, which means that he's OK. So um, great to see you there, mate. Thank you uh, for joining us as well. Like, subscribe, all the rest of it. And we will see you next time. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. Until then, take care. All the best. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.